I've found it a lot easier to tell people where I've come from than where I'm going. It's just the way I'm wired. If you're wondering geographically, I can say it pretty simply. I was born in Pennsylvania, grew up in New York, Ohio, Indiana, traveled extensively in Asia and Europe. I married into Southern California, and for the last 34 years, I've pastored in DuPage County, Illinois. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Where are you going? I have, I have no clue. Why are you asking? Then if you're asking more spiritually, that gets maybe a little more complicated, but I would say I grew up in a Christian, Protestant, Baptist, fundamentalist group of churches and a family where my dad was pastor. But there I learned God's word. I trusted Christ. I started to use my gifts and talents, and I'm grateful. But as I got into college, I wanted to expand my understanding of the Christian faith and grounded it in biblical Christianity was exposed to a more Jesus people charismatic Christianity as, a, as an army uh, fella in El Paso, Texas. And there I really found an expanded understanding of the body of Christ. And as a pastor, I've tried to encourage people to embrace the whole and varied and quite beautiful, even though complicated, body of Christ and to be a part of it. And let's emphasize the main things that we share. That's where I've come from, spiritually. Where am I going? It's a little harder to, to answer. I, I don't know. I, I plan to stay in the faith. I plan to use my gifts as long as I can. I plan to get old. I plan to die. I plan to gain the hope of eternal life we have in Christ, but you can see it's, it's a lot easier for me to answer where I've come from than where I'm going. I don't have that visionary ambition that's kind of laid out a plan, never really did in my life. And so that's just kind of the way I'm wired. You may be different, but my sense is many of you are like me. It's kind of fascinating to see those two questions in this text. Where have you come from? And where are you going? Have it directed to Hagar and to realize that she really answers the first question. I'm running away from my mistress. Um, but she really doesn't answer, where are you going? We have some hint that she was on her way back home to Egypt. That's where the spring in Shuri is, is on the road south going to Egypt. But we really don't know. I would like to enter this pivotal time in Hagar's life and enter that story. It might be easy to enter the Abraham and Sarah story, but we have to set that aside. This chapter is really about Hagar. So let's focus on her and see if there isn't some place we can kind of enter her story as believers and uh, people who need to be confronted by the same God. So where does it all start? If you look at those first six verses, it starts with a lot of brokenness. I mean, it starts with Sarai being 
childless and, dare I say, old. This was a position of personal pain, but also, I'll say, public shame. In that day, it seemed to indicate almost an abandonment of God, and they attached that to her barrenness. But she thought, I, I may be without a child, but I've got an Egyptian slave girl, and maybe she could have a child for me. And so she tells Abraham to take her as a wife, and just like that, it seems, in the story, she conceives. I might just pause and say that this relationship may seem strange to us, and, and I think it should be, but in that day, it was very customary, it was normal, and it also was legal. That child would be Sarai's child, almost like a, a surrogate relationship that she had with her slave girl. That would be her child. But just to say that it was customary and legal is not to say it was right. Do you see the difference? It's not necessarily right and moral for Abram and Sarah to take God's promise into their own hands and do it their way. That's part of the story, but we have to set that aside. The pain here is to look at what happens after the conception. And it gets really thick and messy because now Hagar has contempt for Sarai. Sarai complains to Abram and says, uh, you know, what in the world have you done to me now? Abram turns to Sarah and says, you know, whatever, dear, you know, do, do with her as you please. Sarai abuses Hagar, and then Hagar runs away from Sarai. You talk about a messy, confused, complicated, dysfunctional family unit. We're looking at it right here, and it just piles on once this conception takes place. When the angel says, where have you come from? I could almost hear Hagar saying, how much time do you have? Let me tell you. I think for us to enter the story, we, we need to realize that we too live in this kind of a world, a, a broken, painful world. You may have had a relatively good family of origin, and uh, things were quite good for you, and we're thankful for that. You may have had a relatively good recent three, four, five years, and we're glad for that. But my guess is for most of us living in this room, maybe with the exception of a few young ones, for most of us, we've probably lived long enough that we know that life is full of pain and brokenness. And what we're reading about here is not all that different from what we've experienced in our own families, our own lives, our own health, our own financial welfare, whatever it might be, we realize we live in a broken world. That's a world the Bible describes as fallen, broken, a world where, just like Hagar, we've contributed to the fallenness and the brokenness. It's not like it's all out there. We've, we've got it from within, and we've dished it out to others. And even like Hagar, I think our tendency at times is just to want to run away from it all. Her name means flight. Hagar means flight. Let's just get out of here. But then we realize, if you've tried that, 
that we take our troubles with us, not just the memories, but we take our own brokenness with us. You can't run from that. I can't run from that brokenness. It's all around us. We're, we're in desperate situation. And we cry out to God for help. And the good news in this story is he hears that cry. And he comes to us. And we read in verse 7 and on down through verse 12, we read about the angel of the Lord who comes and catches Hagar at the spring in the wilderness. And already, if you're paying attention, things have turned. I mean, we know that God's seeking after her. She's not running away to God. He's seeking her. And it's not all wilderness. There's a spring out there. That's good news. This week I had a chance to spend a, a few days at our denominational annual meeting in Phoenix, Arizona, technically Tempe, Arizona. Um, earlier this week, if you noticed, they had record-breaking heat of 120. While I was there, it cooled off. It was just 112. Both days I was there, highs of 112, lows at night. I got up real early in the morning. I was out walking. It was mid to upper 80s. That was the, the cool time of the day, and it was quite delightful. But what was great about the resort where we stayed is you were never out of sight and sound of moving water. There was a water park. There were fountains. There were pools. There were sprinklers for the plants. There were sprayers as you came out of the lobby that kind of gave a, a cool mist that you walked through. Everywhere you went was the sound, the feel, the sight of fountains and bubbling water. Do you see how, how important that is for that dry, dusty land to have a, a sense of spring and, and water and freshness? That's what's going on in this first verse, verse 7, is the angel of the Lord comes and meets her at a spring. There's, there's some good news in the midst of all this, this brokenness. But first, the angel of the Lord asks these questions. And Hagar, as I mentioned, answers the first one, leaves the second one up for grabs. Where are you going? Since she doesn't clarify it, it's almost like the angel of the Lord jumps in and says, let me tell you where you're going. You're going to go back to Sarai, and you're going to submit to her. And there you're going to be blessed. You're you're going to have a son. He might be wild. He might be hostile. But you're going to have a son, and that son is going to lead you to an innumerable. You can't count this family. It's going to be so big. That blessing was Hagar's to claim. And I think it's a wonderful thing to realize how God comes into our lives much the same way. He breaks in to our brokenness and wants to give us some hope, give us some direction, give us a promise. I love the way that God breaks into our lives when things seem so bad. He says, let me try to weave some good out of this. When things are, are sick, he's looking for health. When things are broken apart, he's He's wanting to bring some wholeness. When we've sinned, he brings forgiveness. When it's full of death and dying, he brings the hope of life. 
that's the kind of God we have who intervenes in our brokenness just as he does in this story of Hagar to bring some good out of what seems so, so bad, some water out of what seems so, so dry. So as we enter this story, I, I have to ask you, are you open to God's intervening in your life to not just be running bullheaded away from your pain and suffering, but are you open to, to maybe sitting still at the spring and letting God find you there and speak to you there and bring words of hope and encouragement to you? Are you willing to be like Hagar and, and even see in that the, the beautiful image of Jesus Christ himself who came to earth to intervene in all the brokenness of this fallen sinful world to intervene and bring hope and encouragement through his life, his death, his resurrection. Scholars looking at this text and at the angel of the Lord see, see Jesus there. Did you see him? Did you hear something of him? The angel of the Lord is a mysterious figure in the Old Testament, shows up quite regularly, and often seems to take on not just angelic dimensions, but seems to be God himself. Did you notice how the angel of the Lord is later in verse 13 by Hagar addressed as the Lord, as God who sees? All of a sudden, this angel of the Lord is more than just an angel. He's the Lord. And so it is that it's, it's as if, and I believe this, that what Hagar is seeing is God the Son in angel form. Centuries before God the Son would take on human form in Bethlehem, in the manger. And so we have this, this wonderful image of Jesus showing up here. And let me just suggest that Jesus will always be that angel of the Lord, that messenger that best represents God the Father. Jesus will always be the spring in our wilderness. He's the one who brings a living water to all those who are thirsty in a dry and weary land. Jesus is, is the spring. See him there. See him as the one who fleshes out God's intervention for you and for me. Don't miss out on the refreshment he brings, the, the direction he brings when we're unsure where we're going. Don't miss out on the promise he brings and wants to bless your life with, just like he did Hagar. And we could probably close there and say, it's a good story. Is that the end? I'd like to just take you the last few verses because I think here we have even another step in Hagar's story that's important for us to enter. Not just our, our brokenness and God's intervention, but here we see Hagar's response. She responds in a way that I see full of faith. She responds as one who, who really believes God through his angel to her. And so she, first of all, in verse 13, names the Lord, gives him a name. What an honor. Gives him a name that she knows is part of her story. The Lord sees. Even Ishmael, Ishmael means the Lord hears. And while I'm in flight, God has heard my, my cries and he's seen me. And she names him. She even names the well or participates in the naming of the well. And there's a little bit of a pun here. She's saying, I'm still alive 
even though I've seen the living seeing one. I'm still alive, even though I've seen the one who's living and seeing me. And in that pun, she's, she's memorializing this, this well, this spring. I would say for you and me, it's a wonderful picture of worship to be able to take the names of God, ones he's given us, ones that we might give him that flow out of our own experience and encounter with him is one of the great ways God's people have worshipped him down through the centuries. When we prayed earlier, it, it was to start with, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Holy are your names. There are many of them. But which ones connect for you? Which ones are precious to you because of your life experience, because of your brokenness that he's intervened to assist with? What names have you given him, and do, do you delight in those? Uh, think that through, because the response of God's faithful people like Hagar is often directed to just worship and the names of God himself. But then in verse 15, and it's repeated three times if you read it, Hagar bore Abram a son. We're encouraged to believe that she did what the angel told her to do, even though it was hard. She went back. She submitted to Sarai, who was abusing her. She, she bore this son, and with Abraham, she named him Ishmael. I think, again, this is the response of faithful people who've encountered the intervening God in their brokenness. It's a response of obedience. It's a response of entering into the promise that God has for us through being faithful to him, obedient to him. That's still what God is calling his people to. He wants to intervene in our brokenness, but that's not the end of the story. He wants us to respond with faith that lifts up praise to him and then, and then goes into life, even when it hurts, being faithful and obedient to him. That's still what God is looking for. So if you're wondering where Hagar's going, that's where she's headed. She makes that choice. And that's why I think these two questions are, are challenging. And it's easier for me to answer where I've come from because those choices have already been made. That's already written. I can't do much about it. Good or bad, the past is the past. But when I look ahead, I realize I've got some choice here. I've got a decision to make. Where am I, where am I going? What do I really want to do? Do I want to just keep running from my problems and trying to solve things on my own? Or do I want to let God stop me and still me and speak to me and give me direction and claim his promise through through worship and obedience, do I, do I want to make that choice? You know, Hagar made the right choice in this story, and her life was not going to be easy. If you know something of the rest of her story, it's, it's not easy, but she made the right choice here. The question for you and me is, where are you going? Where am I going? God help us. Let's pray. Lord, would you take 
the story of Hagar and help us to live into it and recognize your intervention, give you thanks for it, and commit our lives to live for you. May each one of us, regardless of level of pain and difficulty, may we hear of your good work, especially through Jesus Christ, and respond with faith. I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.